Hi there, you're listening to Rune Lenders. I'm Adam, your host and friendly neighborhood dungeon master. Now before we begin, a couple of things. Runelanders contains adult content, about as much as your average late evening premium cable series. We don't beat these topics over the head, and they're not in every episode, but they do exist as part of the setting, so we don't shy away from them when they come up either. Use your judgment. If that sort of thing isn't your bag, well then, this probably isn't the podcast for you. If, however, that is your sort of thing, well then... Dig, if you will, this fractured fable of a felonious fellowship's forays through the suave salons and sinister saloons of Byzantine Bailey Mina, the city of steel and steam. Thrilled to the adventures of this criminal cadre as they climb to notoriety and beyond. Will they remain merely outlaws, or will they become true villains? Well, I could tell you, but it's more fun if we show you. We're the Runelanders. This is Rapscallion, so get ready, runatics, and let's roll. Send him. Send him, Nari. Send him home. All right. Well, they guess... have his fucking heart. Do what they say. Caller, it's a weird thing. It's a weird moment. It's just like you feel this tug, and then everything is black and cold and, and alone and empty, and you can't feel anything or see anything or smell or taste or, or anything like that. And then suddenly, the first thing that comes back is vision, and you see a dragon lying dead on the on a bed across the room from you. Looks exactly like you. Nari is standing there, shocked. Everybody in the room, their jaw is on the floor. Your awareness comes back, and you start to feel things, but strangely, like data more than sensation. Does this feel? Terrifying or strangely detached? Strangely detached and terrifying. Delightful. Arabet? Nari? Timotei? There's no reaction. Can I move around? You can try. I try to walk closer to my body. Nari, what are you going to do? Arabet's yelling at you. Send him, send him, send him. But it's only part of him. His heart's over there. Can I do it while he's spread across the room? That's up to you, Nari. Have you learned your magic well enough? Is there anybody slicker than you? Can you do it? Uh, Well, I mean, my uh, security chief is yelling at me to do it. And I did just technically put him in charge. So, yeah, I guess fire away. I'll banish. You banish him into a place in between. It's exactly the sort of place that he accesses with, say, the pockets on Arabet's coat. That's where you put him. That's where he'll be safe. Hard or no, he won't die. Time, tide, temperature, it can't touch him there. You hope. So Nari speaks this word, and you watch your draconic body essentially swirl down a drain like a liquid. You see this proud half-elf slump for a moment as it plays across his features, and pop, it's gone. Willa, do be a good girl and start taking notes. 
Miss Delray, I will give you the benefit of being brief. It occurs to me that my former protege has given you control of the ache and I gave him control over while he's off faffing about. He asked me to look after the Lost Taker as a favour, yes. And what's your end of that favour? I know he was probably terribly generous with it, so I won't bother to see how he's cutting his throat. But I will tell you, I'm having a few problems around here. I take it you're familiar with Mr. Gallio Despard? Unfortunately. Now, with Lost Acre open like that, if it's not strongly defended, Mr. Despard will have me on two fronts. And so, Miss Delray, your stewardship of Erebet's Acre is of paramount importance to me. I gave him my word I would take good care of it in his absence, and I intend to. And to ensure that, you can keep my share of the rents for as long as he's gone. If you become the mistress of Lost Acre by default, we'll renegotiate then. Does that sound fair to you? It does, yes. Then Willa will act as my witness. Have you got that, Willa? And Willa looks over and she's like, yes, sir, I do. All right, then away with you. Go uh, file the papers, would you? And as she goes bustling off, she trips at the leg of your chair and you catch her by the wrist as she almost gets the purse on the inside under your jacket open, but not quite. They're there now, Willa. Good initiative. Not the time. Apologize. And uh, Willa looks up at you with these, like, she blinks and that's covered by a Demir. Oh, no. You know, they, they, this, oh my goodness, please don't hurt me thing. And uh, feigned helplessness, as it were. And she's like, oh, geez, I'm awful sorry, Miss Delray. Please, I need that wrist if I'm going to keep up with my apprenticeship. Mind your audience, Willa. There's a time and place for everything. And this was the wrong time. She still must be in pain from the way you're pressing on the back of her hand with your thumb like that, right? Like her wrist is locked. This has got to hurt. She locks eyes with you and goes, certainly not, ma'am. I'll, uh, I'll do better in the future. And just grits her teeth the last two syllables of future. But she's tough. You let her go and she disappears. I think she'll be a good one, Thrasher, if she can find the right manners to mind. You'd be surprised what she already knows, those folk out of Littleton. I don't know how Arabette did it, but he's got himself one hell of a staff there. And she was one of the best of all of them. It's a good thing we caught her and didn't do it in. Mercy occasionally profits, Miss Delray. Don't let anyone tell you different. Anyway, that's sealed and off to the guild. So, I have no more business here and I shan't keep you. However, if you would like to stay and enjoy a meal on me, please do. Everything here is absolutely wonderful. I'd recommend the lobster Grote. 
Thank you, Master Thrasher. That's very kind of you. I believe we will. What follows is a meal such as neither one of you has had in quite a long time. Ursa, it might be noted, can cook. And as you ponder different ways to find and rescue her, you distract yourself by talking with Shakir. So what brings you to Bailey Mina, Shakir? Uh, my family is actually a recent arrival here. I am not involved with them and their business per se, but uh, I do occasionally come down this way for uh, entertainment purposes. And what keeps a man like you entertained? Adventure. I uh, occasionally engage in a little fighting, a little dueling. My uh, friend, who I was accompanied with when we met you, tends to enjoy setting up conflicts for me and uh, and betting on them. Adventure, you say? Edwin, do you have some good stories? One or two. I uh, learned a lot of my trade actually fighting outside of the city. I uh, left for a time and... Uh, honed my skills uh, with a couple of various mercenary groups that you know, engaged in the sort of things that they do. Interesting. Sometimes. With that, we're just going to cut for a second where Dugan is looking off down the street, leaning on the wheel of the Mariah, and Bugbear Joe is standing out front. Not really watching him, Dugan's got his hands in his pockets looking off, you know, towards Miss Melinda's down the road. And just when he thinks Joe isn't looking, he breaks for the doors to get in and see what's up with Shakir. And Joe equally effortlessly wrangles out one of those long goddamn bugbear arms and catches him by the collar and then sets him back over where he was on the sidewalk. Back to the inside and Shakir. Make a hmm, perception and then an insight check, please, Delilah. All right. Um, and my perception was 19 and insight was 27. Well, you nailed it. Okay. So Shakir is pretty much an open book, right? Like he's a handsome man. He's in good shape. The way that he moves when he holds himself... Well, let's just say that this is a man who knows how to handle the instruments that he's handling. And taking his meal apart without looking, yet with surgical precision. All the bites are the same size. Meal gets eaten without being looked at because he's looking at you. All very military habits, but at the same time, speaking of a forthrightness, like a man with zero fuck around. He just is what he is. And if you don't like it, well, he's got a sword. So, tough. Now, Shakir, same thing. All right. <laughs> so, uh, perception was a 12, insight was a 6. Well, she is awful goddamn pretty. <laughs> You're holding it together pretty well, but... You are, can't believe that you are sitting at a table with somebody this beautiful and poised and awesome and frankly, just like 
distracting in every possible way. She could read stereo instructions and you just, it, okay, right? Yeah. After about 15 minutes of her really leading the conversation, you manage to come back to yourself and pick it up again. And uh, Delilah, it's the typical thing for 15 minutes, they all fall in love with you and, you know, typically get boring after 10. This guy's managed to hold it together and even rally. The conversation picks right back up again. And you get to re-roll those with advantage now that you've acclimated. Please, Shakir. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's better. 21 on the perception and 21 on insight. Very good. Much better. So now after the shine is worn off, you realize that like, you're not sure how, but obviously the sun has gone down. You can see the moons rising between the towers along the Firth. That's breathtaking enough, but you just cannot take your eyes off of Delilah. And somehow it is as though the sun is shining on her. Like that beautiful, rich, golden hour sunshine, you know? She just seems to be lit by that when nothing else in the room is. You sit there and think about this, and you are... Like you, like I said, you, you pick the conversation back up, and the, you know, the, the second, like the third course arrives. It's the entree. Yours is lobster. Hers is a jambalaya, favoring more vegetarian sort of thing for whatever reason. But uh, all the courses that have been brought have been perfectly suited to your taste so far. You can only assume it's the same with her. So you asked me what brought me to the city. Um, may I ask the same of you? I was born here, lived here my whole life. It seems that the city has done well for you. I suppose she has. And she turns a little smile out toward the harbor. So it seems like you have some endeavors in the, uh, in the works right now. Could you use any assistance with any of those? You know, it's distinctly possible that I could, yes. Well, please, if you have need of me, let me give you the way to get in touch with me. Shakir will you know, pull out a piece of paper or a card or something and jot down some contact info. While we see Shakir scribbling on a card, the camera cuts outside. Dugan gets past Bugbear Joe when Joe goes around the corner to drain it. Goes charging into the hostess. The hostess, with her wide eyes, holds a menu up to protect her from the charging Dugan. And uh, Dugan is clotheslined from inside the restaurant by the 
extra long arm of Bugbear Joe, who drags him outside and sets him back on the the pavement where he belongs. Back to you, Shakir. Uh, Do we notice this? It seems like that would be enough of a ruckus that might draw some attention. There is some ruckus from up near the front of the house. But he doesn't yell or anything that would let me know that this involved me. No, he busts in the door and he's going to go charging in there and uh, make a scene, but he doesn't get there because the world's greatest bouncer is on the job. All right. So Shakir finishes writing and passes the the card across. And uh, Please, if you have need, I would be happy to help. Thank you, Shakira. That's a rare kindness in this town. As I said, I enjoy adventure, and I get the feeling that around you, adventure is not uncommon. Well done, Matthew. Take inspiration. Woo. And with that, the server comes up with the coffee and the, uh, why just the coffee and the dessert? Goblin coffee is wicked strong, but it's uh, also some of the greatest stuff you'll ever drink if you get a taste for it. So it's up to you whether you have it or not. But uh, personally... I prefer it. Delilah does enjoy some goblin coffee. Shakir will take a sip, but uh, as with many things that are, uh, uh, the, the word escapes me at the moment, but uh, have the tendency to affect your uh, your, your mental state, uh, does so sparingly. It's a stoic. That's not the way he indulges, put it at that. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, so you have a sip of the coffee and it is brutally strong. Uh, Delilah, this is a medium, a medium range goblin brew. It's authentic. It's not like some of the places that say they sell goblin coffee, but it's really just yesterday's everyone else coffee. This is actually goblin beans. She sighs with appreciation of the taste. There is just a moment where you sit in companionable silence. And like, you know, lean back and stretch out in your chair. And there's, you you can see the buster chugging across the distant bridge. All the lights that, you know, cross the moon, the, the big green moon which backlights all the towers and bridges and causeways and buster cars. And higher up, it's a clear evening. You can see the sky trams chugging along on their cables, that sort of thing. And you just watch the city move and spin and turn for a minute. And there is a moment where both of you feel relaxed, 
calm and for the moment safe. Her feeling has started to worry Delilah a little bit. Shakir will just kind of bask in it for a bit. So he's sitting there enjoying it and letting it happen and just going with it because why not? You know? And that's, there's something about him. He's a good person, Delilah. An honestly good decent person. That's what it is. They're in short supply in Bailey Mina, and they don't fucking last down this far. No wonder it makes her nervous, that feeling. It's been a while since she saw one. So you finish your dessert, the moons have risen, dinner rush is wound down, and now it's just the diehards. You can see people on dates and people celebrating anniversaries, and now that the supper rush is done, and there's a fine dinner Evening shift in, the lights are down. There's like candles in bowls on the tables and various bead curtains. And you get the idea. Well, Shakira, it's been a lovely evening and I'm sure I'll be getting back in touch with you soon. But if you'll excuse me, uh, I had an errand that was interrupted. I look forward to hearing from you. I might as well walk her out to the whatever, wherever she's going, right? Just out to the street. It's gentlemanly and you got to go anyway. Indeed. So the doors bust open and Dugan comes rushing in the three paces down the hallway to meet you on your way out. It's like, ah, fuck. This is a polite establishment, Dugan. Have some respect. Uh, sorry, boss. All is well. Well, you hear things, you know. So as he's leaving, Bugbear Joe looks over at him and goes, hey, thanks. I had a lot of fun. Out front, there is a row of carriages that comes pulling up in either direction on either side of the street. Uh, there are, well, there's a concierge who runs the joint and uh, like valets who are guiding people off to various carriages and calling carriages over. So you're going down to the Copper Penny Road station at the foot of Copper Penny Road to catch the buster, I would assume, right, Delilah? I am, indeed. Whereas, Shakir, you have a tower just off of the West Meadow, which is uh, the other direction, really. Well, unless she objects, Shakir will make sure that she gets on her way without incident before returning himself. He has... Well, you know, you, know, you could... Yeah, I guess you could stick by her to Copper Penny Road, right? But that's, you know, let's not be creepy and overstay, right? Indeed. Good idea. Good idea, yeah. You can stick with her to the, to the Buster Station anyway. So you and she get into a into a gig, actually, uh, while Dugan sits on the luggage rack in the back, and uh, you rattle off down the street away from Thrasher's Cerulean loot. 
And even in here, in the dimness of the gig, this covered gig with the doors closed, um, like you can barely see your hands in your lap, Shakir, but you can see Delilah just fine. Again, no reason to be creepy. Just enjoy the ride. Make sure she gets to where she's going. And he'll keep that little point in mind, I suppose, for, for later. Okay. Well, you get to the Copper Penny Road. You make small talk all the way to the Copper Penny Road Buster Station. You climb up to the platform. And uh, I guess if she's going to go to the Bramble... She's got to go east from here, right? And you're off the West Meadow, so that's how it goes. Mr. Lila, it has been a pleasure. It has. Thank you for your company on such short notice. Anytime. Mr. will bow and head off. Dugan waits at a respectful distance, not wanting to be the third wheel, and uh, catches up with Shakir as they head down the stairs. All right. Can we have a word? Of course. What's on your mind, Arabette? I know you are a master of illusion, sir. I have a way with them, I'll grant you. I'm not sure I count as a master of them here, but go on. And illusion in the dream is made real? That's uh, the understanding that I've come to, yes. Can you conjure me a cold iron rapier? I th believe I can. I'm not sure how long I could maintain it. That is definitely a plan to keep in mind for emergencies. Do you foresee one in the immediate future? Yes. Do you trust me? Of course, yes. You've been a faithful companion. And I'll, uh, yeah, I mean... Yeah, bippity boppity boo, Bing. You got a you got a fancy uh, sword if I can if I can make it. Timothy, can I have a word with you for a moment? Uh, sure. So, when I get my new sword, we will have a short time to make this happen. Are you listening? Uh, okay. I need you to attack his shadow. Okay. Draw its attention away from me, and then I will slay it with a cold iron. When you get your new sword. You got it. All right. And that'll be the end of the boogeyman. I can do that much. Kinda. Maybe. Night. The end of the boogeyman? Yeah, that doesn't sound great. But... Make a wisdom save. That's a 12. And the fucking boogeyman, indeed. Who the fuck is this joker? We should probably get rid of him. He's dangerous. 
I hired him to be dangerous. Not to you. Where's he been for seven years? Hmm? First I taught you what to do, and then you did it. How long you know this joker? Six months? Who the fuck is he anyway? He's a member of my household, and he's been a faithful guardian to my sister. Mm, our sister, I suppose. He gets a little clemency from me for now, but end this boogeyman, that's enough of this shit. Straighten him out. Hey, Arabet. Yep. You heard every fucking word of that, man. That's amazing. Goddamn shadows. Oh, you know what's even weirder? What? He was two different guys while he was having the conversation. Like, seriously, one voice had a whole different face and mode of dress than the other. They were in each other's face. But it was one guy. And the weirdest thing of all is that he didn't turn. He just shifted whenever he was taking the other perspective. You know what I mean? I told you once, Nari, you've been here too long. At some point, you have to give up the dual identity. Is it really that? I am large, my friend. I am multitudes. I am the boogeyman of Bailey Mina. And you... Sorry, things have been a little wild here. I've had to be quite a bit more theatrical than I usually care to be. Uh, yes, while we have a moment, here you go. Please get on with it, and I will conjure up a really nice uh, fancy looking, really icy uh, irony uh, rapier into Arabet's hand. The minute is in my hand. I faint at the shadow and toss the rapier to you. Timothy. Tim, heads up. I'm gonna uh, get an ice knife out and throw it. You catch the rapier in one hand and chuck your exploding ice knife with the other. You whisper just this old draconic word. Well, you think it's draconic. For the cold at a heart of a glacier. And that materializes and launches into the shadow, which explodes. I'm going to count you as being within five feet of someone who is prone and restrained. So... It's an auto crit. Roll your damage. Uh, eight damage. Okay, so the the ice knife explodes, and Nari, you are aware with a jolt that the boogeyman is not currently conscious. Finish it, Timothy. Finish it. Uh, well, I grab the rapier and stab it into the shadow. Roll your attack. Oh, I got a one. The rapier disappears. And there's a chuckling from the shadow. Next time. Next time we'll get you, Boogeyman. And the shadow resembles Nari now. 
unfortunately, your magic, uh, you can use it too. I also imagine conjuring cold iron is not the easiest thing in the world. Nope. You can't do it, in fact. Like, it's God conjuring something you can't lift. I mean, I tried, but... So, yeah. Maybe I'm not a master of illusion. It looked 100% like a cold iron rapier. It was rough and chunky and this and that, but cold iron is anti-magical and can't be created by magic. It also can't be affected by magic and does all kinds of shitty things to highly magical substances, beings, you name it. So if we can get a hold of some of that stuff, brilliant. This, this stuff does sound great. Well, it also does what, like what Red Iron did to mortals, like that cut that Calder had, which just ate a large part of his chest and a little bit of his heart away. Yeah, cold iron doesn't heal and it creeps and it just consumes, right? That actually probably does sound like exactly the sort of thing that Starkweather and Fair either has a vault full of or desperately wants a vault. Well, I don't know. Of both kinds. We'll have to find out that vault then anyway. Because I'm telling you, man, your shadow is the boogeyman. I hope things are that simple. I... I've learned not to make uh, detailed predictions or plans here. I will, from now on, I suppose, defer to you. This seems more your avenue. I'll follow your lead here, Arabet. I'm making this up as I go along. What are you talking about? You've been here for seven years. Yes, it's... I'm not sure what it's what's it what it's done to me. I'm not apparently it's made my shadow mischievous. Uh, my butler, who I thought was me, has uh, been roaming around with an ogre who tried to brainwash me. I think it's time I stop making uh, my own plans for uh, for a moment. You're right, Nari. And here, Arabet and Timote, is something that you swear that you've seen a dozen times before, but are realizing just now that you are only seeing for the first time. Jobsworth and Nari in the same room. Quick, grab us! Timote, left. I go right. Okay. There's no resistance. Like, you can run, you just, you, you run over and you both grab him by an arm. He doesn't bother to stop you. Now, one of us might tell you that we're the real Nari. Oh no, he's the real Nari. But he might be the real Nari. Oh, I'm definitely not the real Nari, not me. Well, we're both probably Nari, or neither of us is, and there's still apparently... Is there... Do we both have a shadow to deal with? Who is the real Nari? You'd like to know, wouldn't ya? Wouldn't ya? Look at my shadow, mate. And anybody wants to make a perception? Not me. 21. What shadow? He has no shadow. Do you believe me now, Adabat? 
Yes. Are you missing your shadow? Would you like it back? Ah, uh, no, mate. I don't have one. That's why I don't have one. I see. I'm not exactly a real person. There's lots behind that. I'm not sure that you're the sort who can understand it. I barely do, and I'm as smart as Nanny. Why don't you try us on for size? All right. Well, you see, this is the dream. Yeah, now, I got if the you've noticed, If you've noticed, there are people like you and people like them. Fairy people, human people. Of all descriptions and kinds, and nothing makes any sense here. Why do you think that is? Because it's the dream. Those dream, mate. Is it her dream? Yes, yes. But who's she? The ragged lady. Partially. Think bigger than just a yes, she is a big part of it. But there must be something even bigger than her. Are you saying? You're not saying. You're being tiresome out of it, come to it. Just Bailey Mina would be enough. We're in the dreams of Bailamina. Bingo, mate. Is that That's why we never leave. Which Bailamina remains to be seen. You see, there are nine worlds, and in more than one of them there is a Bailamina. It might not always be called that, but that's how important it is. So finding your way back to yours is going to be tricky, and you're going to need help to do it. See, anyone can come in here. It's getting out that's the trick. So, I mean, well done you, mate. I can see it beaming off you. How proud you are for having picked the lock on the door between worlds. A mighty accomplishment, to be sure. But how are you going to brag about that as long as you're on this side of it? And who would help us here? Who oh, indeed. Are you all right, Nari? I'm I'm fine. Oh, job's worth. We might as well accept our roles at the moment. I still think you might be me, though. My name is Kern, mate. It's changed, along with my role. You understand that? I am who I am to save your life, right? So don't waste it by being fucking boring. Do you understand? Ah, yes. Warning to not bore anybody. That I can understand. Fair point. Right, right. Who's always, you know, you're never, you're never sure who's paying attention. But you're pretty sure you always wanted to be everyone. So, with this, I'm going to bid you a very good day and good luck. We'll be waiting when you return to the summit. Have a good evening. And with that, the Warlock of Kern 
fades but for his Cheshire smile. Well, that was mildly upsetting. You see what I've been putting up with here. We're in the dreams of Bailey Mina. This is easy. All we have to do is get back to the right Bailey Mina, he said. You said there's nine. There are lots of people that want to help us. Yes, I'm not sure I'm ready to trust many of them until I've found whatever fine print there is to find. Oh, you're, you're too worried about the fine print. What I'm saying is they all have their reasons. Sure, sure, and we may not like those reasons. But we don't belong here. This is one of my ongoing worries that perhaps I have been here too long and maybe now do somewhat belong here. No, no. You, you, mis- you misunderstand. You gave in to the dream. That's the problem. At one point, you gave in to the dream, Nari. Then when you give in to the dream, you start dreaming. And when you start dreaming, you're in the dream. Do you see what I'm saying, Nari? I think I do. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I believe... In quite a few things, I will be following your lead from here on out. My judgment here may not always be the appropriate actions for leaving. It may not even be me. I I can't be trusted. (laughs) You all understand. You are your own worst enemy sometimes, Nari. Literally. The scene opens on a twisty little alley between buildings in the Foundry District. And this alley is, uh, well, it's it's not the neatest thing, but there are worse ones in Bailey, Mina. It's, it's mid-range for shitty places to be. As we wind down this alley, you see that there's all these hatches and trap doors and things for dumping garbage and ashes and whatnot into the alleys. Every once in a while, as the camera passes, one of these will open and a sack will drop out onto the stone. Seemingly from nowhere, somebody about the size of a halfling, dressed in a to-the-floor coat, top hat, and mask with goggles, comes bustling out, grabs the bag, and ducks into another hatch. Young kittens are hunting rats here. There are a couple of crows picking through various sacks of garbage and stuff like that. And they flutter away, angry at the camera crew, who are disturbing them as the camera comes sliding up this alley. It deeks around to the left, uh, being closed off in the rightmost way by a door, which is gated and locked with a heavy padlock and a thick length of chain, both of which are coated with the rust of a decade or more. Following this alleyway, the only way you can go, we wind down this creepy, drippy, stankin' alleyway and stop. And there is a little hatch down by our knees when we look down on the left. Pushing that open, it's a swinging sort of dog door type of deal, but it leads into a 
little shaft, like a dumbwaiter or a laundry chute. It is through one of these hatches that the camera then takes a hard left and pushes up, only to come out on top of a building where the view of the surrounding firth is obscured by clouds, which are purpled by the setting sun. In a small, small room attached to a pigeon coop on top of this building, the camera now goes and opens the door where we see Ziva with her head tilted at an angle to get her hair in and uh, her knees up under her chin with her heels tucked in just by her bum. She's squashed right in here, sitting across from the little purple-haired half-elven girl who holds a tiny teapot in her hands. Interestingly, our Ziva is holding a full-size teacup. The little girl fixes the grown woman with a purple eye and says, More tea? Oh, please. Thank you. And with a single drop, she fills your teacup. That's so cute. I love that. It is very, very good tea. And not surprisingly, exactly how you like it. So have you like figured out what you're supposed to be doing here? Or do you need more time? Well, we don't really have any time. So... Uh, but you're the smartest in Bailey Mina. There's no girl smarter than you in Bailey Mina. I tell everybody that. Yeah, I know, but it doesn't mean there's not like smarter people than me in the world, you know? Well, we're like, we're in a dream. And stuff like the dreams it's not just oh right it's, it's a little more than just this a dream Ziva. you gotta think back and i know it was boring but i also know it's in there and i need you to make an insight check Ziva. okay one second oh that's not very good that's a six plus one for seven it's just not coming to you. And she's got this look on her face like you've put on your face so many times before when people just can't get the basics of thomic resonances and, you know. Uh, look, I'm so stressed out right now. I feel so dumb and I hate it. It's like, I just feel like I can't think. I feel like I can't make sense of things i don't know <sighs> okay i gotta just like all right so what's next well i think that's up to you okay see she hmm i don't know what you figured out so I don't know what I'm supposed to tell you. Okay, so I know I'm like in the dream version of the city and like the Violet V contest is like this other version of me 
and you're like this other version of me or like part of me or like I don't know double or something maybe you're the double of me oh that's true it could be well we're doubles of her oh yeah but she said she said something about being my grandmother which was like super confusing yeah see now there's another thing like I don't, I'm not good at this sort of thing yeah I know Yeah, you know, and so does she. So, what are you missing, Ziva? Hmm. Oh, you think it's one of those, like, maiden mother crone things? I think that's exactly what it is, and I think that I'm what you don't know yet. And I think that's why you're talking to me. Oh. I guess that makes sense, yeah. Because you're like... Yeah, you're like all the new stuff. That I would learn. And now with that, you're just rattling on because like... Yeah. You just sit and have casual conversation. You just keep them company. Oh my god. Do you know how awesome your thing is? Is it? Oh, she's awesome. Like, I can't believe... I can't wait till I meet her. Sia is the best. She's like... oh, She's made everything better. She like... Even the nightmares. She's so cute. I, I don't even understand how I lived without her. Well, I really don't understand how, if we're all aspects, I don't understand how I can, like, be my own grandmother. That's, like, super weird and kind of gross. And, like, I'm not having kids. So obviously it's like some kind of adoption thing. Can you roll perception, please? Okay. Oh dear, I rolled a five plus one. That's a great big six. This is probably why you've been going on for a few minutes, for a few moments now, and realized that Ziva, well, we Ziva hasn't said anything. Not since you said nightmare. And now that you look at her, that that uh, flush of health that she has, that youth, that vibrancy, that 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 potent elven life spirit that, uh, well, doesn't show in your cheeks anymore, doesn't show in her cheeks either. And she is again now. She looked like a little violet-haired girl a moment ago, and now she is you in just purple and white. Like, but smaller. And she goes, nightmares, huh? Hmm. Timote, you make your way down the stairs and across this great big solarium, finally opening great big estimone doors to step out onto this immaculately maintained lawn with all of this statuary. Um, roll a perception check, please. 20. 
Okay, so like there are the statues are all of the same person. And this person appears to be somebody in their mid to late 30s. A little bit little bit jelly, you know, soft around the collar, wears a big wig and lots of very fancy clothes, except where he's depicted in the nude. Hmm. And when he is depicted in the nude, his nudity is um, magnificent, so much so that you cannot help. Based on, like, the more accurate depictions in the other, the other scenes with the other, you know... It's like they, when he's got a shirt on, he's got maybe a 40-inch a, a chest. But when he doesn't have a shirt on, it's like 48 inches of rippling muscle, right? Yeah. It's a very self-aggrandizing sort of thing. And the white sparrow sits out on top of its head and goes, Well, I can't wait to get out of here. Can you? Yeah, let's uh, hurry it up. And it flaps down to sit on your shoulder. And said, all right, then, let's go. Go. Home. Where are we going? Back to Bailey Mina. How? Well, I found you, and I'm here, and now we are together. So let's go home, Wayfinder. How am I supposed to find that way? Wait, didn't you know where to get how to get out of here? Oh, I got here and I am definitely going to make it so that you can get home. I am an opener. You are a wayfinder. Nobody explained this to you ever, did they? Yeah, no. I don't remember hearing any of this. What is wrong with you people? All right. Yeah, you want to you want to keep talking and I'll probably just find my own way here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, if you would please start. This is I mean, I can't believe this. Like, how many times do I have? Okay, so you are, what's your name, kid? Timothy. Hi, Timothy. You can call me Peep, okay? Because really, yeah. you wouldn't, well, it's actually, and he peeps. Can you do that? No. I didn't think so. So you can call me Peep. I am an opener of ways. And how do you do that? Well, when I am presented with a way, I will open it. However, I need a wayfinder to bring me to the ways that I open. This is how it always has been. Did nobody mention this to you in any of your extensive training? I don't remember any extensive training, nor do I remember anyone mentioning this to me. Then how the hell are you assigned an opener if you don't know anything about wayfinding? Well, I don't remember you being assigned to me. Can you just hurry it up, dude? It's right. It was plain. I okay. I got my mar- I got my orders this morning to come and find you. From who? Right here. From the head office. Huh? Alright, listen, kid, just get us off of this lawn because people are watching us. And sure enough, from the cracks and the crevices, you can see little lambent eyes glinting. And, you know, as you get closer to where the lawn ends, 
and the fringe of the forest begins. You see that the forest is not really a forest, but a woodlot, because on the other side of it, you are absolutely sure that you can see... Is that a coach and... It is a coach and four. That's... There's been so many things that go sideways here, Tim. I want. I need for you to roll a perception check. Fourteen. This would be... Uh, your mental map of the city is spinning and spinning, but... If you're not much mistaken, that would be Westover Place. Because Westover Place has that tended little woodlot park where all the crush heads go to pass out. But I mean, like, from this view of Westover, you'd have to be in that crush head park. And you don't go in that crush head park because, well, it's full of crush heads. What do I do now, bird? Find a way through. Easy enough. I'll walk through. All right, then. I need you to roll intuition. Sorry, insight, rather. Use your intuition and roll insight, please. Yeah. 17. All right, so you go walking through this forest, and it, it, you know, it gets thicker and thicker, and when you turn around, you can see that the lights from the villa are quite a ways off. You push forward a little further and stumble out into a clearing where there's a couple of centaurs and a fawn uh, kneeling around a stump playing cards. In the clearing above them, a bunch of little wisp pixies just kind of hover around, keeping the place lit, serving drinks and that sort of thing. Centaur looks at you and goes, can I help you? Can you? I'm trying to get out of here. Looks around. Well, you're in the middle of the woods, kid. Pick a direction and go. No need to say that twice. I'll just keep going. All right, so you and your sparrow head off into the woods. And uh, the foliage is up past the top of your head. It is taller than you are. You cannot see the sky or anything to make any sort of bearing from. Like in almost no time. Turning around uh, doesn't seem to lead you back out either. Okay, bird. What now? Well, the bird is sitting up about 15 feet on the branch, which is poking out of one of the thicker trees, which stretches away to the sky. And, uh, you know, just got its head cocked at that weird angle. And uh, looks at you and goes, well, uh, anytime you're ready. Anytime I'm ready, what? I've been waiting here for you for five minutes, kid. Come on up. I'll climb up. Roll an athletics check, please. 22. Okay, so you're climbing and climbing and climbing, and the bark is easy to main, is easy to navigate. Like there are cracks in this maple-like bark which are big enough for you to wedge your fist or your foot into and uh, it's nothing because you've climbed like you've climbed up the side of brick buildings in Bailey Mina you are a great climber and so it is nothing to get clear of this undergrowth in no time but you see that it climbs up the bigger trees which sweep up both sides this side of the firth anyway 
Um, the undergrowth climbing up the trees, much like the undertown climbs up the towers in Bailey Mina. And as you pause for a minute, you uh, you rest your hand on a doorknob and and grab hold just just to keep yourself steady, and have a good look around. Um, because, like, I mean, the view from up here is really spectacular. You sit right down on the ledge and uh, settle your back against the window just to check it out. Insight, please, Tim. Natural 20. Huh, so you've shifted somehow dimensionally because uh, when you sat down... Like you had your hand on the doorknob and sat down on the window ledge. Well, the doorknob is actually a window knob and the ledge is hanging out over the, well, the buster's down there. So you're quite a piece up on one of the towers. You have no idea which one. You have never been here before. Okay, bird. Well, looks like we're partway there. Which way are we going? I would say forward would be fatal for you. Uh. Okay. Might I suggest back in the window? I'll turn back in the window. Okay, so you step into a very comfortable bedroom. Um, there's a couple of pictures, like these canvas prints that they silk screen and mass produce right and it's this Bella Riva and this one of these musicians who records these popular records that's just a bunch of you know drums and wailing and no musicianship at all right but it's popular with the younger kids and uh, like pictures of that all the pictures of that person all over the wall stuff, you know, socks and a few toys from that look a few years old. If you had looked around, if you looked around, you would have to guess that this bedroom belongs to a 15-year-old girl. Let's get out of here. And in fact, as you stride across the room, the door opens and there standing in the doorway with her robe on is a 15-year-old girl whose eyes light up with glee. And a big smile appears on her face. She goes, oh, wow. It worked. What worked? Oh, my God. The spell worked. You're here. Oh, jeez. What? I worked a spell and look at you. Oh, my God. You're perfect. You're exactly what I thought was going to happen. Uh. Anyway, you are my slave and you need to do everything that I tell you to do. Yeah, all right, kid. I'll move faster. So, Delilah, there's the distant gunshot from back the way that Shakir went as you crossed the street to the psychics. Miranda, wasn't it? Miriam. And Delilah sure is getting a lot of use out of all that practice she's put into swearing lately. Miriam, my bad. Miriam, yes. Miriam, as always, keeps inordinate hours. And so 
She is open when you arrive. And when you walk in, the door is a heavily curtained sort of thing with the typical, you know, Madam Miriam knows all, sees all. Lost items, people, lovers, found. No love potions, reasonable rates. And as you walk in, there's like this little vestibule out behind the curtain door as you close it. And there's a bead curtain and the smell of incense and perfume. And you can hear the hollows playing from the kitchen down the hall. But there's a sitting room just off to your right. And in a moment, Miriam comes bustling down the hall and she's putting her long, you know, her long woven cloth robe on and, you know, taking off her 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 new specs and setting them on the table. And you can still see the hollows playing in the lenses of these glasses. And she's like, who seeks to part the veils of the world? Oh, Delilah, that's you, darling. You could have called. Mira, I'm afraid I'm here on business. How are you doing, though? You know, the rent's paid. I won't be taking any vacations soon. How are you, love? Well, I'm in such a way that I had to come to you on business. i love to see you, but not like this. And she reaches into her bag and pulls out uh, Ursula's pipe. Oh my, she's... Go in, I'll put some tea on, have a... just have a sit. Have a lovely sativa ground up in me jar if you want to twist one, love. I don't think I can, it's gonna be a long night. As you will, as you will. We'll get it home in a jiff. Now, did you fight with her? No, she's gone missing. Oh, she's gone missing, is she? Okay, well, very good, very good. And this is all from the kitchen. She's yelling down the hall, right? So one second, one second, love. And then there's like this deafening aria of... And then there's a flick in the silence. These bloody things. You know, my son got them for me for my birthday, and I've never been able to figure them out. She returns a minute later with a pot of tea and uh, sits down and, you know, turns the lamp up so that it's not so mood lit. Um, now, how do you want to do this, love? Do you want it in this crystal? Or do you want me to... Use cards or runes or what? I defer to the expertise of the professional. Whatever the best way that you can locate her is, that's what I want. Well, you could see the crystal for yourself and I don't have to faff about interpreting. Crystal it is, then. That's going to be expensive. I'm sorry to take advantage in your time of need. But these things don't come cheap. I know, Mira. I'm good for it. I know you are, love, but these tough times. She nods and rummages around in her bag. One moment. She goes over and there's this old friggin' dirg, just an old dog sitting over in the corner. And it's been, you know, years and years since this dog hunted anything. But I got these long, floppy old ears and long, floppy old face and... There's a flabby old dog laying in a puddle. You know, like how them old hound dogs turn into a puddle on the floor? 
was one of them dogs. And he's laying there and he thumps on the floor a couple times with his tail as it gets over. And she pulls a couple of hairs off him and goes and sits down next to the crystal ball. And she starts talking. In her whittling sort of way, she intones these mystic syllables that resonate etherically, and the bottom falls out of the crystal as it fills with smoke. Perception, Delilah? Well, that's better. That's a 28, which is a natural 20. You're not paying for these fucking theatrics. You want results? Mary, you don't got to do the song and dance with me. She gives you a garage. She gives you a cocked eyebrow and a sort of back of her throat noise and uh, waves away the smoke. And when the image of Ursa comes back in, she is tied to a chair. Oh, that doesn't look good, does it? No, not at all. No, now how am I going to find out where that chair is? I can pull it out, but I won't get much further than the room. You asked me for hair, and if this is the... Yeah, it starts as the, it starts at the father's focus. Which means that she's somewhere... You can't see. Hmm. Now that's a poser, because if it's. I, I can't pull it out past the room. That must mean. Well, how about that? There's one reason for that. Now, do you remember what Sybil taught us both back in the day, Delilah, when you were taking your lessons? about sympathies in complete circles and barriers in all of these things. So she's bound somewhere warded? She's been warded in. It looks like maybe the door was open at the moment that we were looking. I can look around the room a bit. Please. She's tied to a chair and there are various shiny implements on trays with neat cloths underneath them the room is well lit and tiled. She turns and there's a, like, she turns the perspective and uh, there's no, there doesn't seem to be anybody in here but Ursa. But like by the time she turns the perspective of where the magic eye sits in the room to the door, you can see that the door is open and there is Galio Despard who closes it. Thank you. That's more help than you could possibly know. There's the, the doorbell dings. And then, like, Miriam's like, oh, just one second, I'll, se- I'll send them away, love. She gets up, oh, I'm sorry, I'm with a client. When she gets into the hallway, there's, like, three bullets rip through her. Bang, bang, bang. She just falls onto her back in a heap. Delilah hisses and drops so she's not going to be visible and heads into the hallway after she pulls steel. Okay, well, I need you to roll stealth. It's an 18. All right. As you dash into the hall, you uh, step in to see the silhouetted forms of three humanoids from about five and a half to about six and a half feet tall. They are all cloaked in shadow and wearing goggles. You can see gleam with the thomachrome light. 
Um, they are all holding revolver pistols, and as you charge into the hallway, two of them take shots which miss you, and the third one takes a shot which hits you. For eight points of damage. This one barely misses flesh, Delilah. It uh, goes through the folds of your coat as you pull yourself short of the one that goes just under your bust and turn. Your coat goes wide and then you feel it slap against your body as the bullet strikes the flask that was in your pocket and slaps it hard against your hip. The other one buries itself in the floor behind your heel with a cascade of splinters that doesn't really clear you, that doesn't get anywhere near clearing your boot. You basically just ran out into the, in front of them with their guns out. So your options from here are to try to get through the three of them, which is less than likely. Go back through into the sitting room. Uh, there's a front window which you can use to exit the building, should you want to, or you can run down the hall into that little kitchenette and out the back door. I'll head out the back door uh, and into the alleyways. So as you go dashing out into the hallway, the one bullet, like the bullet shoots through through your coat. The leaking flask slaps you in the hip. You teeter a bit as you put your foot down. You can feel the impact of the bullet just off your foot. There's a shatter of splinters on your boot, but that boot is well planted. From there, you bounce down the hall into broad bounds. Grabbing the trim on the door jamb, as you get into the kitchen, you wheel around hard and uh, careen off the ice box, which opens up and the, you know, it rocks a bit. A couple of the eggs fall out onto the floor. You take a bounce off the counter where the sink is set with that same hip that just got smacked by the flask and then uh, run up to the back door. Now, there are three locks on it. So, first one, I'm going to need a sleight of hand with advantage check for. This is Copper Penny Row, right? The locks are going to be pretty good going either way. Yeah. Yes, but I got 25. So that one, snip snap. The second one. 21. Snick snack the third one as you go to the third one the first gunman comes into the kitchen and at 24 on the last one the door flies open snap you go pouring off the little wooden back staircase down into the atrium which sits in the middle of the block the first shot goes into the door behind you the second gunman doesn't get a shot but the first one is into the kitchen and following you. So if you're going to try to continue to put distance between them, I'm going to need an athletics check from you, Delilah. I got an 11. Is there any way I could... Uh, well, I will be looking for a place to dive into cover rather than just rely on distance here as I get my bearings. Okay, you go charging across this little back garden and uh, leap the garden wall. You're still in the atrium, but now the atrium opens up into two arched, well, into two archways 
that connect with the streets on either end of the block. It goes right and left. Or you can go straight ahead, jump another garden wall, and try to get through another building. Go with the garden wall. As you jump the second garden wall from the one that you just jumped, you can hear a cacophonous clattering as uh, somebody clearly misses the jump and takes out the bins. There is uh, also a little bit of muffled giggling. Then one pair of feet hit the street on the in the alleyway. Another pair of feet hit the street, and then a third. And then you hear some low muttering. Do you speak goblin? I don't think so. I don't know that I ever chose the appropriate number of languages, but I don't think it's many. All right, well, in that case, uh, which way? Where, where, where'd she go? Which way did she go? She just was here. Do you want to give it the 30 seconds it needs to mellow? Well, pick a direction. Well, there's three of us. Why don't one of you go one way, the other of you go the other way, and I'll wait here in case she backtracks. Well? Because it's my idea. Just go, would you? Then the other two sets of feet head off in either direction. All right, Angel Face, I know you're in here somewhere. You didn't have that much of a lead. So where are you? Delilah holds her breath. She's not moving. And on the other side of the wall, the camera can see from a high angle as this knoll pulls his head, pulls his hood back and then reaches into his, reaches onto his belt and silently, without the hint, the slightest hint of noise, draws the long, curved dagger that the knolls favor. It's like a foot-long scimitar for reference. On the other side of his belt, he draws another one. I'm, uh, I'm not going to hurt you, Angel Face. Why don't you come out? Mr. Despard just wants to talk to you. <laughs> make, uh, make an insight check. 24. Flipping through your mental Rolodex of who's who in the zoo. Now, you don't like Despard. You don't know much about him personally, apart from the fact that he's an asshole, right? Well, now that you think about it, he's he's got an operation, right? He has quite a cast of characters working for him. One of these is this knoll. And this knoll, it's got some name. Yeah, you can't. No, fuck it. Giggles. They just call it fucking Giggles. You, uh, I can smell you. I know you're still around. So, uh, <laughs> um, why not come out and talk girl to girl? Lila stands, but doesn't go towards Giggles in any way. Backs away a little bit, actually. <sighs> there you are. Come on out. Like she can see you through the wrought iron gate in the garden wall that you just jumped. It's locked from the inside with a good Hadley number two. Never kick that one off. 
And you can see that she's got her knives out. She looks at you, and that knollish grin spreads across her features, and she puts her knives away. Oh. <laughs> Hello, Delilah. You want to talk? Talk. So, Shakir. Yes. You and Dugan are heading down by the, like, there's got to be some kind of gin joint or something where there'll be a cabbie out front. There has to be, right? This is the docks, for fuck's sakes. And you're about a block away, and you cross out of the darkness of the street into the pool of light afforded by a crossroads street lamp. And from in the dark, you hear, Oi! Uh, he'll look at Dugan. Oh, fuck. And then he'll look around and get a, try to get a bearing of what's going on. And Dugan, like, steps out of the light and into the dark, and then he's gone. Seconds later, two humanoid cloaked figures step into the light. Good afternoon. I'm just wondering if you have any funds to help out the poor of Bailey Mina. You see, we're with the Bailey Mina Civic Reconstruction Fund, and we redistribute the wealth to those in need. The bigger one behind the smaller one doesn't say much. In this case, us. So how about it, lads? Okay, the good news is is that Dugan doesn't shoot you in the face when he shoots the big one in the back of the head. Okay. <laughs> the amazing news is that it was a critical sneak attack for maximum damage. Nice. So, there is a roar of gunfire, and the big one goes down like a sack of shit. There is a rather gory mist that coats everybody on that side of the of the bullet though unfortunately uh you're far enough back that well don't get any on you and uh now that's enough of a surprise that your opponent your remaining opponent is flat-footed you can roll initiative and then make use of your free round all right, that's an eight on the die, so 18 initiative. Um, and at this point, Shakir will draw and just level the blade at the other guy, because, I mean, he doesn't have any particular desire to kill anyone. And he'll just kind of look at him and be like, I think I am feeling th philanthropic today. Your grace is only matched by your look. Goodbye. And away with that, the smaller of the two, the thinner of the two, the shorter of the two, runs away, leaving their companion face down in a spreading pool in the spotlight. He still has a face? Well, it's down and... There's a large pool spreading out from where it would be. You can't see it from here. 
All you can see is a smoking hole in the back of a cloak. A moment later, Dugan steps out, and uh, you look away because it's really unsavory when he rolls the body over. And about 30 seconds after that, Dugan is standing there with a pair of boots full of whatever the guy had in his pockets in one hand. Was, was that really necessary? Well, I think they were going to kill us. All right. You and Dugan walking down an alleyway, making a beeline. He's got these boots full of like a wallet and money and a new spell phone and, you know, some various valuables and pieces of paper and jewelry and shit that he's that he managed to quickly pull off of this corpse that he left face down in the street without wrapping it in his in its cloak even. He's now beelining you down an alleyway as you're like, well, that was that was kind of fucking horrible, really. You take a look over the left and you swear you see that golden hour sunlight light the frame of a woman who jumps over a wall and then looks both ways and then across the alley she goes to jump another garden wall. It's about 15 seconds later when you're like, I gotta see this. And you turn back. And when you turn back down the alleyway, there is a large humanoid figure, which looks around, takes a deep breath, and then pulls its hood back to reveal a knollish head with a bright pink mohawk. The knoll talks to somebody. You can see it talking. Can't really make out what it's saying. And then the sun shines out of one of the garden gates. You swear the sun shines out of one of the garden gates. Okay. Shakir uh, will try to get closer. Uh, just so he can kind of get a better idea of what's really going on. All right. Well, I'm going to need you to roll a stealth check then. Glad my dex is high. That would be a 18 on the die. So 23. Beautiful. You slide down that alley like a shadow in the dark. Runelanders was recorded live, curated by DM Mad Adam. All of the usual people played all of the usual roles, and you can find out more about who they are, who their characters are, and all the little Easter eggs that I scatter through these episodes by going to runewise.games. That's it, just runewise.games. Like what you hear? We'd love to know what you think. If you like us, tell your friends. If you don't, let us know why. You can leave us a comment at runewise.games. Find us on Twitter at CastTheRunes. Send an email to runelanders at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at Runelanders. Next time on Runelanders, we're going to have some wicked awesome fun. You have to check it out. We're back in two weeks. We'll see you then. Till next time, take good care. Adam Zemo's Post-Mortal Services. 
providing bespoke funerals for the discerning customer. Madame Ziva is a licensed and experienced funerist trained in the memorial customs of every major culture in the kingdoms. Rooms for services and gatherings are available at 666 Belladonna Street, or our people will come to your preferred location. Discreet, professional, and well-trained, Madame Ziva can be trusted to send your loved ones off in style. Other services include taxidermy, zombification, communication with the afterlife. Receive a 40% discount when you bring the skull of the deceased with you. Reasonable rates given in times of calamity. Ask about our group discounts. Resurrection and communication with the deceased not guaranteed. Spell components cannot be refunded. Madame Ziva is not responsible for any fear, terror, profound cosmic horror, existential angst, crisis of faith, physical expressions of fear such as pants wetting, foul odors, fainting discomfort, or utterances of those can be paid with. Use at your own risk. 